Keep America great. I know a predator when I see one. They want to defund the police. I will draw on the best of us. Republicans reject science. Four more years. Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, we're delighted to be joined by Jason Kishneff, who is a, a former candidate for California's 5th Congressional District and is a current candidate for City Council for American Canyon in California. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, uh, what made you decide to stand for City Council in American Canyon? Um, well, my political journey began with Bernie Sanders in 2016, and it's always been my mission to end corporate personhood. Um, so I actually ran for, for Congress twice. And when I ran the first time, I got a lot of people saying, why don't you start small? Why don't you start with city council? And so that's really why I you know, began running for city council in the first place. This is my second run for city council, and I ran for Congress twice. <clears throat> so um, you mentioned corporate personhood there. What other issues do you see as or the big issues that you want to tackle in this run? Uh, speaking nationally or in my city? Yeah, um, both, yeah, either. So in my city, what I want to do is like we've got this community where we, we really don't have much business, but we have a lot of uh, housing and they're, they're adding like 1,200 more homes. It's going to like increase our size by 33%. So I'm trying to prioritize creating local jobs and community gathering places like bringing back our farmer's market. Um, we have, we've legalized cannabis in California, but our city has not legalized uh, back backyard grows or dispensaries. And so I want to end that. Um, nationally, I'm kind of a, a progressive Bernie Sanders Green Party kind of platform and and for profit wars and corporate personhood, legalize cannabis nationally, transform our criminal injustice system as racist, sexist, uh, ableist, you know, <laughs> It, it just, it all needs to be transformed. Uh, now, I know you're a member of the Rose Caucus. For those who don't know what the Rose Caucus is, could you uh, tell our listeners? Okay, so the Rose Caucus is, um, it, it started by Joshua Collins and uh, uh, Jason Call and some other people in this, in the Twitter discussion group talking about how we should all mutually endorse each other. So we're not just one person saying, hey, uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of people out there trying to change the system. We can actually show them. They're here. We are. Here's a list. Um, so uh, most of the Rose Caucus platform was written by Joshua Collins, who kind of got screwed by the establishment Democrats in Washington. Um, but we are we are Democratic socialists and left of there. So if you're right of Bernie Sanders, you're, <laughs> you're a conservative. <laughs> so men mentioned him being right of Bernie Sanders being conservative. Obviously, Joe Biden is a Democratic nominee. Would you consider voting for Joe Biden in the coming election? So my current stand is no, not a chance in hell. But there are certain things that will 
make me, you know, sacrifice. Like, like it would really be going back on myself to vote for Joe Biden. But I will go back on myself if he will support Medicare for all, because that will save millions of lives. I will go back on myself if he would say I will um, ban fracking and tackle climate change seriously, because that'll save millions of lives. And I would go back on myself if he would say, I will close the concentration camps at the border, uh, the Mexican border, and let those people go free. But he's not going to do any of those things. And so as it stands, hell no. Do you think that um, part of your reason for um, not wanting to vote for him is not just obviously the ideological differences uh, between yourselves, but is also because in terms of the presidential election, California is definitely leaning towards uh, the Democrats. So it is a, a, a safe constituency. It's not somewhere that, uh, you know, is, is more in play. Do you think that that's also part of how you think about your, your vote? You're asking me that if I was in a swing state, would I have a different view? Yeah. I would not. I would not. My view, I mean, it's true that in California, Trump hasn't got a prayer of winning my state. But if I was in a swing state, I would still feel the same way. Joe Biden has pretty much the same policy as Trump. He just isn't as obvious about it. And so I look at, at, at Joe Biden presidency as totally protecting the corrupt system. Now, one other issue you championed is um, UBI. You're a supporter of this idea that was made into sort of popular consciousness a lot by Andrew Yang during the presidential election. Um, why do you think this is a good idea for America? UBI? Um, yep. Because I think... Well, even before the COVID crisis, we were experiencing the worst economic inequality in 90 years since the Great Depression. And I think there are different ways to look at UBI. There's a conservative way and there's a progressive way. And if you um, don't count UBI as an, as an income towards government assistance, in other words, if government assistance is not touched by UBI, then we can really help people um, survive. That's, you know, and, and Andrew Yang did bring it back to public consciousness, but, but Dr. King talked about it in the 60s. It's not a new thing. It just needs to be done in a progressive way and not in a way that is used to take away benefits from the people that need it. I mean, I think it's clear from um, speaking to you that obviously uh, you're not a fan of either the Republican or Democratic establishment, and very much someone who is uh, supportive of uh, more independent candidates and candidates who aren't necessarily in, in one box or the other. Do you think that this is something that, because of the way that the American electoral system is at the moment, it's difficult to break out of that pattern of either being a, a Democrat or a Republican? Yes, I am a Democrat. I look at myself, I'm a progressive Democrat. I am an anti-corruption Democrat. Um, I look, you know, and, and party Democrats, establishment Democrats are like always vote blue no matter who, but I'm like vote, vote progressive no matter who because that's, that's where it's at. Now, I ran for Congress as a Green in 2018 and I saw the rigging in people's minds firsthand, like how many people Green can't win. Green can't win. And they're right, but they're right because they believe that. And if, if, if the rest of the country did not believe that, Greens could win. 
Um, now, in 2016, the Green Party got a bit of sort of blowback for possibly splitting the vote, as it were. Um, what are your thoughts on that idea that sort of that Jill Stein took votes away from Clinton? Uh, it's absolute nonsense. The people that vote Green would not vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, they're taking away votes now in. Uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania, and those people are not going to vote for Joe Biden. It's it's total nonsense. They, it's just a smear tactic. It's it's uh, it's you know we're we're the establishment Democrats. We're going to protect the system. We're not going to offer you a damn thing, and we're going to blame everybody else for why we lose. That's what it is. Uh, you've mentioned uh, coronavirus, and obviously that has changed a hell of a lot in the way that people uh, think about not only the environment, but the economy. Do you think that things really will change once the pandemic is resolved? Or do you think it is going to be a case of, oh, well, we'll just go back to normal. We're not going to change things. Um, well, I mean, you're, it really, it's a, it's a matter of who's in control of the government. Now, if Bernie Sanders had, see, if the, our elections weren't rigged, Bernie Sanders would be running for re-election right now. But he's not. He gets cheated. So the people that are in there, Trump or Biden, they're going to change a damn thing. And I'm hearing that COVID is going to last for two or three more years. I'm sorry, dear viewers, that that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> um, so in that case, when Trump is in office or Biden is in office, will things change? No, things are not going to change. Um, so the one of the big issues that's sort of come up on the left of politics is the Green New Deal. Um, who like AOC championing this idea. What do you think of a Green New Deal and, and Joe Biden's sort of? Will he? Do you think he will have any sort of green policies compared to Trump? Okay, so there there are different versions of the Green New Deal. Uh, Bernie Sanders came out with the version after AOC. AOC's version of the Green New Deal, um, I, I, I like AOC. I think she does some good things. But her version of the Green New Deal was like a framework. It was not a plan. It left out nuclear power. It didn't talk at all about. Um, Sanders was a lot more comprehensive, but even more comprehensive was the Green Party's version that the Democratic Party doesn't want to admit exists. Uh, that's been around since, I think, 1996, I want to say. Um, and I think it was originally, it was, uh, I think I heard there's a guy named Andy Caffrey who says that he is the originator of the Green New Deal, but it wasn't called the Green New Deal then. It was called the War on Climate Crisis or the War on, the war on Climate Change or something like that. And so and he doesn't get any credit for it, but I give you credit, Andy. Now, uh, one of the things um, that is obviously uh, part and parcel with uh, the Green New Deal and with environmental politics in general is spreading it not just in terms of one country, but around the world. Do you think that there has to be uh, a greater deal of uh, cooperation between elected representatives between uh, in different countries to ensure that in terms of climate change, that there is action not just in one country, but around the world? I think it's clear, yes. And I think um, it's not going to be a popular opinion, especially among conservatives in the U.S., 
but clearly the U.S. is like the global power center. We have a lot of wealth. We're the richest country in the history of the world, and we are going to have to uh, help out a lot of other countries convert their systems and keep their people from starving and keep their people employed. And a lot of uh, conservative-leaning folks in the U.S. are going to say, you're trying to weaken our country, but really, we're just trying to keep our species from dying out, man. There's nothing more important. Um, one of President Trump's talking points during this election has been trying to paint Joe Biden as a radical socialist. I get it, even they got sort of quite a funny idea. Obviously, yeah. Joe Biden has been fairly moderate throughout his career. Um, what's funnier is that people actually believe it. <laughs> but do you, is there not a worry that sort of association with more left-wing policies, that if Biden was to move to the left, as you sort of suggested, that that might make you vote for him, but it would put off more moderate voters that President Trump's trying to win over? Policies I talked about already that I said I would I would sacrifice my integrity if he supports Medicare for all, if he really supports climate change and banning fracking, or if he will close those camps. Additionally, if he says he will end the war in Afghanistan or legalize cannabis, any of those issues will guarantee him a win. Any of them. If he supported all of them, he'd be ahead of Trump by 25 points right now. But he's the gunner. Now, one of the things that you've mentioned um, quite a bit is Medicaid for all. And um, of course, people in the US, it's, you know, it's an issue that a lot of people are divided on. You have conservatives who sort of like see it as, oh, it's going to bankrupt the country and all this sort of like stuff. Do you think that part of the issue is that in, in, in terms of Medicaid for all, that a lot of people in the US just can't imagine uh, a healthcare system covering the entire United States simply because of its size, that they think, oh, it's okay for countries like Britain to have, uh, you know, like healthcare for all because they're smaller. Do you think that's part of the issue? Harry Truman in the 1940s said that Republicans call, I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said any policy that helps everybody, Republicans will try to smear as socialism. And so really, we're the only country in the world that really isn't taught about socialism. Uh, in other countries, as you know, I'm sure, uh, socialist is just another political party. And so I think the thing is um, that conservatives look at, you know, socialized medicine as socialism. If, if you give everybody health care, we are going to turn the country into a socialist hellhole and we're going to go the way of Venezuela and we're going to make our, our presidents dictators as if they're not already. And it's kind of silly. Um, and they grasp onto things like, like you mentioned and uh, like some of the issues with the national healthcare system in the UK. And, and they say, look, here's a great example of why it doesn't work. But you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's having a stumbling block, but it, they'll, they'll figure it out. And it works in every other country, you know, all the, all the, the happiest places on earth, Norway, Finland, Sweden, New Zealand, Australia, they all have socialized healthcare. Now, um, you've mentioned a few times about um, legalizing marijuana. Um, it's been legalized in some states already, um, and it sort of seems to be increasing more and more 
in different countries and states. Um, do you think that is inevitable that it will be legalised on a federal level one day? Obviously, you've got libertarians as well on the right, people like Gary Johnson, who have also supported this um, cause in 2016. I do. And in fact, we legalized it in California, but our state proposition allows certain cities to control like, uh, you know, 10 minutes from here, I can go buy cannabis at a dispensary perfectly fine. But in my county, there's not one city that allows it, which is uh, draconian in my view. Um, Yeah, I've been speaking out about cannabis legalization since uh, the mid-90s, actually, and I do think that it is inevitable. It was made uh, illegal mostly because uh, William Randolph Hearst saw hemp as a competing product for paper, which he owned a lot of, and uh, used used that and propagandized it with, uh, he was a, a major publisher, And it's been kept illegal by the pharmaceutical industry, by the tobacco industry, by the beer and wine industry. So yeah, absolutely, it's it's a people's it's a people's uh, people's platform plank. Um, You mentioned Hearst. There, do you think that part of the reason that people have opinions on things like uh, marijuana and, and other issues is because of the um, power of the the mainstream media and that part of the reason that some people are changing their minds on these issues is because of things like social media and being able to talk to people more freely without having uh, their news just coming from one uh, area. Yes, to the first part of your question, media definitely has a huge role to play in why people, uh, like, like here in American Canyon, I get a lot of hate from people who think that if we just end the ban on cannabis dispensaries that we're going to have all kinds of crime. And that comes from um, this, this kind of right wing way of thinking. Now, when you, when you break it down and does social media help, I think we all tend to get in our little echo chambers. And, you know, if you're, if you're voting for Joe Biden, I'm going to unfriend you. I'm going to block you. If you're voting for Trump, I'm going to unfriend you. I'm going to block you. You're a fascist. You're a fascist. And nobody listens to each other. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, media deregulation is, is kind of part of, like, how this has become so messed up. We all, some people watch Fox News and some people watch MSNBC News and some people like me think they're both bullshit. And, uh, you know, nobody, nobody has the same version of truth anymore. Imagining sort of the divisions in America, do you think that the increase in sort of partisanship and divisions between Republicans and Democrats over the last sort of few decades, really, um, has made for worse policymaking. The division? Yeah. I think the division is largely overstated. You know, I mean, there's a lot of name-calling and ripping up speeches and sideways clapping, but they're, they're both, both sides working for billionaires to push cuts to programs to help the poor, to make war in our name in other countries quietly, um, killing people for, for oil money. Uh, they both oppose a Green New Deal, at least the leadership of the Democratic Party. There are progressive Democrats that don't. Uh, but the party leadership, they, they're one and the same. They just, you know, they use uh, social issues like abortion access and gun control to 
cause division. Like that, they make it all about the social issues while they while they push uh, crushing people. Do you think that part of the reason that you think of the leaderships of both parties as the same is down to uh, a change in the leadership at the particular uh, particular points? Because I know that a lot of people. Uh, for example, point to perhaps the time that the uh, Democrats and the Republicans became somewhat similar as uh, in the 90s when Bill Clinton was president and uh, some of the things that uh, he was uh, doing, particularly his um, economic policy uh, in in terms of perhaps that he aligned himself too much with the Republicans and regarded too much of what the uh, Republicans wanted rather than just focusing on what uh, Democrats wanted. Do you think that that's when the leaderships became similar or do you think that it's further back no it's further back in 1971 lewis powell wrote a memorandum saying uh well the rich the rich had felt uh the corporate heads had felt like in the 60s we had too much freedom and this guy lewis powell wrote this memorandum saying we the we the wealthy have to uh, inject our money into politics on both sides of the issue, into state and local levels, into, into the propositions and everything else. And so they started flooding both parties with their money. Um, Jimmy Carter was, I mean, he wasn't as bad as all the presidents that came after him, but he didn't start a war. So let's give him that. I mean, he did support uh, Taliban in Afghanistan and, uh, uh, Suharto in Indonesia, but Ronald Reagan was really the first one that was elected that was really part of this Powell Memorandum plan, and uh, it took until Bill Clinton that the Democratic Party kind of, I mean, I think there were some leftists kind of trying to resist that up until then, but when, when Bill Clinton got elected, they were full-on corporatist at that point. Now, um, you've mentioned being anti-war as an important part of your policy platform. Um, In 2016, Trump positioned himself as the more anti-war candidate as compared to Hillary Clinton, as him being more of a dove, Hillary being more of a hawk, and Joe Biden is seen as more in the Hillary Clinton camp there. Um, Do you think Trump has lived up to his sort of dovish promises? No, I don't. But it is a complicated issue. He definitely was presented with um, a bill to end our support of genocide in Yemen and vetoed that. And so that is just kind of a really sick thing to do. But I do think he's tried to withdraw us from Afghanistan and Syria. And uh, Barack Obama was arming and funding al-Qaeda terrorists in Syria to try to destabilize Assad because he wanted to regime change, regime change Assad. And Trump ended that program. So, I mean, I'll give Trump some credit for being a little bit more dovish than, you know, but when presented with, with Afghanistan, uh, he didn't say, let's withdraw. He said, I'll give you warmongers another year you know, and, and the bombing actually accelerated uh, like 100 times from what Obama was doing, from what I understand, or 400 times. I'm not clear. Do you think that part of the reason uh, that the U.S. has stayed in countries like Afghanistan and Iraq isn't just um, because of what they say is sort of like uh, – 
stability, but he's also about uh, upholding um, American prestige, this idea that, well, if the US troops come out of Afghanistan and Iraq, that, oh, well, this will somehow show that the, U- uh, the US has lost in similar reason that uh, US troops stayed in Vietnam. Do you think it's something like that? No, not really. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Afghanistan papers, but they revealed that our presidents have been lying to us for years about, um, you know, oh, we're making some progress and we'll be pulling out soon because they wanted to extend the war. And so it's it's, it's this uh, pit where money just, we, we just send trillions of dollars and money just disappears and we fund ghost schools and we fund ghost soldiers and stuff that doesn't even exist. And uh, if you're a weapons dealer in Afghanistan, you just say, I need some money. And they say, here it is, no questions asked. And the money just takes off. And so, um, and, and then there's the opium poppy trade, which I'm, I mean, I don't have any, any evidence to say, but I, I get that there's some opium coming this way too. And so it's really, I think in my view, it's about profit. It's about uh, the weapons dealers, the, that are running our country, or at least mostly running our country, are not wanting to end the war. And so when Trump says, I'm going to sign this contract and we're going to start to withdraw, and Congress passes some bill that kind of makes it harder for him to do that, you're going to see these weapons dealers. Um, one of the key issues in the new election will be the replacement of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away this week. Um, Trump says he was going to nominate a, just, a female justice to replace her. Whether that will be passed by the Senate or not before the election is unclear at the moment. But if, if it does come down to the win of the next election, and that's Joe Biden, what kind of justice would you like to see? Well, it doesn't really matter what justice I would like to see because Joe Biden isn't going to appoint him. I would rather see a progressive justice, but Joe Biden is not a progressive. He's a conservative. Uh, I think that in a lot of people mind, in a lot of people's minds, Joe Biden got this reset during the Obama administration when he was no longer making policy. And they somehow just think that he's this, you know, progressive leading nice old guy. But really, he's a conservative. He spent his entire career crushing people. Um, so I imagine that he would appoint the conservative I think that he will not want to upset the Democratic Party, and so he would try to appoint a conservative that is pro-choice, but I think that's the best they're going to get out of Joe Biden. Do you think that, um, because some people have suggested that given the infighting over the next Supreme Court justice, do you think that the judiciary should be uh, removed from uh, the political system and that uh, justices of the Supreme Court should be nonpartisan. They shouldn't be members of, of either party or nominated by members of either party. Um, I mean, somebody's got to nominate them and I, you can't really hold them to a standard where they can't be registered to a party. But I would like to see uh, an, a more streamlined process to impeach Supreme Court justices. Uh, the, the Citizens United decision in particular is a perfect example. There is no reason why a justice that is critically thinking would ever say that a corporation is a person or that money is free speech. And I think any justice that ruled for Citizens United ought to be impeached and removed. 
Uh, we're coming up to the end of the podcast now, uh, Jason. It's been great speaking to you. It's great to have you on. And I've got one uh, final question for you. Now, um, obviously, the coronavirus has impacted all of our lives. And, um, you know, in the UK, we've had um, lockdowns. And in the US, certain states have had lockdowns as well. Given that we have been, all of us, regardless of lockdowns or not, spending a lot more time at home, what one skill or new thing that you've learned because of the time that you've had to spend at, at, at home are you are you most grateful for or, or, or most happy to have, have, have learned or you mean besides using zoom yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um gosh that's a great question and i'm totally unprepared for it um i really don't even know the answer to that I think Zoom's a great answer because, you know, you're getting to speak to people uh, across the country and all over the world. So I think that's it. I mean, if you ask me like a difficulty I've experienced that I would say, you know, trying to get on the ballot, I had to collect signatures and it's difficult to get signatures while I'm wearing a mask (laughs) and people don't want to talk to me anyway. (laughs) But did I learn to to conquer that? I don't think I did. I just, (laughs) just got through it anyway. Well, Zoom, Zoom is my answer. I guess. Yeah, well, Zoom's a great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Jason. If anyone wants to find out more about your campaign, what, what can they, where can they go to, to find out? Um, well, I'm a low-budget campaign in a small town, so I don't have a website, but you can go to facebook.com slash electjasonkishinev, and uh, that would definitely connect you to all the rest of my social media. Great. Well, thanks once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Will and Conrad. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at the Debated Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.